Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Adloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to Griefcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does, they charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey Griefsters, I hope you're having an okay week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, to me all year. Um, as you know, we're hitting the festive period, so I'm going to do what we did last year, thanks to my editor, Kate. Hi Kate. We are doing a best of the year. Uh, we've had some lovely tweets for clips that people requested. Thank you so much if you got in touch. Uh, so this week and next week will be, now that's what I call Griefcast 3 and 4. 1 and 2 are still available on Acast if you missed last year's best of 2018. Yeah, and it's just a chance to, I know there's so many episodes, they come out weekly, and I know what it's like with podcasts. Sometimes if you don't know the person, you're like, oh, can I, can I face this? Who is this? So it's just a chance to listen to um, some of our highlights of this year and then maybe you can listen to the whole episode if you like the sound of it or not you can just listen to a clip um, as I said thank you so much for getting in touch if you did uh, tweet us at the Griefcast or on Instagram I'm currently locked out of the Griefcast Instagram don't know why got a new phone can't cope with it so if you have messaged me on there I'm really sorry I literally can't get in and I don't know what to do so if you work for Instagram you're listening please get in touch that would be really really useful anyway mainly i hope that you're having an okay time i know we're coming up to christmas we're coming up to holidays we're coming up to dark time of year uh, whether you celebrate christmas or not and it can be really really difficult for people so i just want you to know as ever you are not alone 
So we're going to run a few clips together um, and I'll probably say a little bit between each one so you know. The first clip we're going to hear is from writer and actor Mark O'Sullivan. If you don't know Mark's work, he is the co-creator of Lee and Dean, which was a Channel 4 series. They've got two seasons. Seasons? We say that now, don't we? Um, God, I sound like an old woman. Anyway, you can watch it on all four, I think. He's a very, very funny man. He's talking about his dad and uh, Terry Wogan. Next after that, you'll hear Brona C. Titley. Brona is another amazing comedy writer she's a very very hilarious woman she was talking to us about her friend Kira who died when she was very young in a um, tragic motorbike accident and then you're going to hear the legend that is Paul Mayhew Archer Paul worked on the Vicar of Dibley among many other things and he um, has Parkinson's himself he was talking to me about his experiences of grief but in this particular clip he's talking about his own mortality hope you enjoy I was um, in a relationship with someone and we were lying in my, my first flat, kind right. of rented flat, yeah. lying in bed. And I had my dad's old clock radio yeah. and I still had it. And um, it was, I mean, it was knackered, yeah, really yeah. knackered. But me and dad used to listen to, um, you used to be able to hear the police on FM oh, like in yeah, the 80s. Yeah, yeah. We used to listen to the police on Friday nights. <laughs> That's not odd, is it? I don't know where I got it from. <laughs> Um, and um, so, and uh, my memories were so fond of the, like listening yeah, to that. Yeah. And I'm lying in bed with my girlfriend at the, at the time, and it just stopped working. <gasps> and it died, and you did. And it's it, about one a.m. Yeah. Oh, on a Sunday morning, and I just went to pieces. Yeah, <laughs> absolute pieces. Yeah. I was sobbing because the radio died, and he's died. So you can't have something else die. Because what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. Could all the dying stop, please. Yeah, can it just? <laughs> And they'd taken the police off the FM band years before. That was a blow. Oh, God. Um, I completely understand when you're just like, no, no, I've been keeping that alive. Don't you understand? Like, because I can't deal with the fact that they're dead. Don't so. look at me. <laughs> look away. Look away. And it's very hard to... Was she okay about it or was she a bit I like... I think she was quite um, surprised by the force with which <laughs> my grief, um, yeah. tsunami-like... God overtook me and yeah. but so was I yeah, I yeah. Was really... that's it because the they call it transitional objects things like that and, and often you don't know you don't know that that's what that is you don't know until something happens to it and you're like oh I was that was my father like I had well, tiny I've talked about it before like when David Bowie died yeah. and I just suddenly was like whoa oh, I feel very strange I was like oh because in your head you've made him your dad <laughs> like and so somehow you felt like it's alright I did that with Wogan <laughs> I'm so, so not overwoken. Oh my god, I'm crying. You made Terry Wogan. Of course, the Irish thing. Of course. Of course, I did. I didn't know I had. But no. when Terry, I'm welling up now <laughs> talking about Terry Wogan. Oh, this would be amazing if I do actually start. I, there are tears behind oh, my eyes. But I could, did he, did he, does Terry, did Terry Wogan look a bit like your dad? No. No. All sound like him. They were from different parts of Ireland, but he but was is that, kind of fatherly. But memory, yeah, I know. Well, Dave Barry doesn't, didn't look like my dad at all, but it was just somebody who was a bit weird that sometimes people didn't, I felt like sometimes people didn't understand what he was doing. Yeah. <laughs> that's what, like, that's how I connected. It was like, oh, that makes, that reminds me of my dad. Oh my God, Terry Wogan. Yeah. He is very, he was very fatherly, wasn't he? he very was. sort of soft and kind and you can imagine him being nice to you. Yeah. And do, you, do you think we sort of chose, I think I sort of chose someone who might have been a bit, like slightly more, 
I don't know, not better version of my dad. That sounds awful, but like... Well, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, Terry Wogan <laughs> wasn't a patron decorator for the local authority. Yeah, it's like it's sort of like fantasy version, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not real, and you don't know Terry Wogan might have been annoying occasionally, you know. And I, I think my, my memory of my dad is that he was quite erudite. And, yeah. You know, he, he was a good talker. Yeah, and I like, like Terry. <laughs> like like Sir, Sir Terry. Sorry. Please. When did he die? Was that quite recently? Um, a couple of years ago. It floored me. Did it floor you? Oh, Honestly. No. And you had no idea you'd kind of done that? No, no. I always knew, like, when he when he finished doing his radio... Oh, this is awful. When he finished doing his Radio 2 breakfast yeah. show about 10 years ago, whenever it was, I listened to the final moments of the final episode inside whilst my children played in their very first snow <laughs> With my wife getting increasingly annoyed, why aren't you out here with the children experiencing this? I'm going, can you just give me five minutes? It's all I need. Five minutes. Oh, God. You've made me snore. So you saw her body. So I was between two minds as to whether or not I wanted to because we had had sort of the perfect goodbye. Uh-huh. I could, because I was going back to drama school for a turn, so I knew I wouldn't see her for a couple of months. And so we had gone uh, to a place in Dublin that we both loved. We had had some chips. We had had hours together. And then we had held each other like, I can't believe I'm not going to see you for a couple of months. And the warmest, longest yeah. hug. And so I was afraid of seeing someone that would look different, that would override that memory. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But I decided I was going to because part of me didn't believe it and I think I needed I felt like yeah. I needed to see her body and I felt like I needed to see the coffin going into the ground um, and so I went to the funeral home and I went in and I saw her and I was it was it was awful but also it was Kira she didn't look scary she looked like mm. the person that I loved and so I started to speak to her and then the door opened and the people who worked in the funeral home like, it's their job. It's their day-to-day. Yeah. It, like, happens all the time. And I think a woman walked in, and I can't remember exactly what she said, but it was something along the lines of, where do you want me to put the wreath, Gary? Um, <laughs> like, pop, I'll pop it over here. There's a pile of them in here. Okay. Yeah. And I think there's a few others coming. And I was like, I was standing by the coffin of my... Having 20, my moment, talking like, to my friend. To my 25-year-old best friend yeah. who had died and, and was like... And I think I was saying, like, thank you for loving me. Like, thank you for everything you <laughs> gave to my life. Gary, I got so life. many reefs here. <laughs> Where should I put them? Oh, Jesus, we're overrun with them. Uh, oh, my God. And oh it was just, God. I was I was, I was, was angry. I was, la- But I was also amused because yeah. I got it. I understood. Yeah, you're like, good timing. In, in the sitcom, yeah. this is hilarious. When I do a podcast about this in 10 years, <laughs> uh, that'll be a great moment. Yeah. But right now it's um, awful. Um so yes, and then I went to the pub with um, with some of her friends and her ex boyfriend, who I was friends with, and then I think the next day was the removal, where Kira is was in the open coffin in her house. Well, it was her granny's house, um, where she had sp- spent a lot of time uh, growing up, and which was nearer to my house than her mum's house because she was outside Dublin. Her mum. And uh, another close friend of mine, Holly, came with me to sort of hold me up. So the removal, because I don't, I've not heard of that. So the yeah. removal is just it's when you wake. go to visit. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. it's uh, so it's you. Sometimes people do it in a in the funeral home. Sometimes they do it in their house. This right. was in yeah. Kira's house. and that's with house. the body. That's with the yeah. body, and yeah. you drink and you say goodbye and stuff. And I just wasn't. I wasn't in a place where I could do that. Yeah, I had to sort. I felt like I had to go and. Yeah, and yeah. be and sort of be there for the family, but I couldn't 
I couldn't take it in. And so, and it was so tragic. It was so tragic because Kira's mum was in a state of absolute shock. And Is that her only child? Her only it? child. Oh, and, a, and, a, and a beautiful, kind, clever, amazing woman who obviously Kira was her whole world. And uh, she was dressed all in white and she looked beautiful. She wore white for the funeral. And then this other kind of funny exchange happened where she was telling like a neighbour who I was and she was like okay Brona and Kira went to school together for a year when they were 12 and then the second half of that sentence is and then remained best friends to this day Yeah, yeah. but she kind of only said the first half and so this neighbour was like I are so good to come I are so good to come did you come over from London I are so good and I was like no you don't understand no, no, I'm not good I'm in the circle she was my sister I'm in the like, circle yeah like I'm one of the gang like this neighbour was congratulating me for turning up like uh, sure they're only friends for a year she's come all this way she must be lonely in London yeah exactly <laughs> she must want a trip back home because of all the you know the the things that have happened to me since I got Parkinson's like discovering I love doing stand-up and yeah. comedy and performing and loving some of the exciting you know I did a podcast sitting next to the Archbishop of Canterbury <laughs> you know fantastic and although he did say that he preferred Father Ted to the Vicar of Dibley. <laughs> I chose to forgive him. But it was, but those things, and he ended the thing by saying, are you glad you've got Parkinson's? Wow. And I said, well, you know, I know there will come a time when I'm not mm. at all, and at times I'm not now, as it were. But strangely, and I upset my wife when I said it, and I can see why, but I said, you know, I was because of the things that it had given me. But I am also aware of the... Um, that it, it will get worse. Mm. And um, we have sort of talked about, you know, ending it. Mm. And I'm sort of... I sort of think about ending it and taking myself up. Julie said to me, she said... And I put... This is in the show. She said... Uh, you mustn't worry, Paul. If it gets too grim, I, I will take us to that place in Sweden. <laughs> and I said, I, th I think you mean Switzerland. And she said, oh, yes, yes. But I, I have a feeling she's going to take us to Ikea. And, and I'm not quite sure that's the answer. Next up is musician and podcaster Felix White. Felix was a founder member of the Maccabees and now is a very prominent member of the Tailenders podcast, which is all about cricket, if you like that sort of thing. Uh, he was talking about his mum, who died when he was only 17 of MS. After that, you'll hear the amazing, amazing writer Purna Bell. Uh, Purna's husband, Rob, took his own life a few years ago and she's written a lot of wonderful books about it, including Chase the Rainbow and In Search of Silence, which I recommend very highly if you're looking for something to read about the subject of grief. After that, you'll hear Anna Whitehouse, otherwise known as Mother Pucker. If you're on Instagram, she also has the Dirty Mother Pucker podcast. Anna suffered a series of miscarriages. And in this clip, you'll hear Anna trying to describe how she communicated what was happening to her daughter. She was she was getting more and more, obviously more and more ill, and mm. she was, it was clear that, definitely, you know, to my dad, I mean, we were kids, I'm the oldest of 17, so, I don't, so wow. you know that, you, that it's not, not good. Okay, yeah. But I don't think, you still don't kind of put it together, do you? Yeah. Yeah, she, <laughs> she was 
getting much much more. I I was becoming obsessed with music, and I was I was sort. It was almost like it was a slight escape route. I was that kid, and I had yeah. all. I was obsessed with Oasis. I'd oh, wake really? up thinking about Oasis. <laughs> I'd slightly walk like Oasis. I learned all the interviews. Wow. I learned guitar for that reason. Yeah. And I still remember the date. It was February fifth, where Oasis were playing Watford Coliseum, which me and my friends bought tickets to, and. Um, and we we like queued up from one in the yeah. afternoon, ran to the front, had this, you know, uh, transformative night where, you know, like I got carried over the barriers and like waving at Liam who nodded at me and thought, oh, wow. yeah, that is going to be my life, <laughs> um, sort of thing. And I went back that that evening. I knew my mum was ill, but I, and I put my head around the door to say, my dad was with my mum and he wasn't usually that late. And she was obviously in a bit of distress, and I just said it was well, really amazing. I'll see you later, and um, I left. And then the next morning, I didn't say goodbye to her. And then when I came back the next day, she died. Yeah. So she died when you went when you came back from the concert. So the next day at school. Next day at school. But I always think of that moment, which is interesting because I used to beat myself up about that. Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. But um, my dad actually has had said to me since a few times that that was um, an amazing moment because it, it sort of the fact that I'd enjoy myself, like, cut through all that pain she yeah, was feeling yeah. in that moment. So, but, um, anyway, so I went to school and then the next day she'd had trouble breathing and I decided to stay at school to play football. And during that period of time, she'd started really br- breathing strange. My brother had seen her, phone my dad, my grandparents turned up and they were all there when she died. But wow. I turned up maybe half an hour later. Oh. But you're 17. Yeah. Like, you know, so this is... I didn't know I didn't know you were a teenager when I started talking to you because obviously I'm in the teenage club and it's uh, yeah. it's so I don't know if I've said this story before. I remember I was eating this food like we we used to do a lot of uh, dinner on trays like mm-hmm. on the telly yeah watching Fresh Prince brilliant yeah. and uh, I remember like we'd had like chicken or something and my dad said take that out to the kitchen this is when he was very ill and I was like oh I'll do it in a minute he was like take it out to the kitchen and you know like because you're still the teenager so I was like. Oh. I'll do it in a minute. Like, <laughs> yeah. your Fresh Prince? Yeah. And then he started moving like really weirdly and like he went to do it and I, I was like, what? And he said, it's making me feel sick. Oh, wow, really? he was really? on the chemo. Yeah. And it's that thing of like being a teenager when you're so, you're still a child. Mm-hmm. So you, but you, you're a child. So you do childish things, but you have an adult brain that tells you how bad that is. Mm. And when you're like eight, you're like, okay. I'm I'm mucked up. I didn't know, but when you're a teenager, you're like, oh, the thing I did that was really selfish and stupid. I'm fully aware totally. that that was awful, and I remember feeling so bad and like taking it to the kitchen and like you know putting the like being like, why didn't you think? And it's just you. I remember feeling so guilty about that for so long. Of like, mm. I didn't ca- I didn't care because you think you read it as like I didn't care, but it's not. It's just being a t- not really fully understanding a situation. It's, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because a part of it, you're, you're robbed of those yeah, teenage years yeah. where you're allowed to be that flippant, flippant, carefree, give a shit. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You kind of because you can, you you can always sense there's something bigger. Yeah, going on, isn't there? So that, that was with my brothers. We never really squabbled. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was it was always like that feeling that there's something something bigger than us, bigger happening here. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, the house didn't have that normal thing of us sort of. Um, yeah, especially three boys, I can imagine. Do you know what I mean? When we got to that age, it wasn't just that was sort of out of... Yeah. But I do I do, I do, remember thinking that. It's funny you say you're watching uh, Fresh Prince Fresh because uh, the, uh, we used to do it, get home, 
neighbours, home and away, right. whole family, yeah. the two cats, yeah. everyone <laughs> is watching. That's what you do from like, yeah. I remember 5.35. Oh God, yeah, your day was sorted. For an hour. Yeah. So even my mum was in a wheelchair, we'd do that. And um, when she was getting really ill, I'd sometimes kind of watch TV and then go into the other room and report back to my mum and say whatever had happened. Yeah, yeah. Carl and Susan. Exactly. So I was watching Neighbours and um, Madge died. Oh my God. Um, Remember um, this? Do you remember Madge died? And I was like struck down with it. And at this time, my mum, she couldn't, she couldn't really make any sounds. Wow. So she'd lost everything. And I was mortified that Madge had died. And I remember, you know, my mum had an affinity <laughs> with Madge. So I had, so I sort of, um, <laughs> so I ran next door and Aww. said, Mum, you remember Madge from Neighbours? She died. And my mum went, <gasps> like, and it was the loudest noise she wow. had made. <laughs> and then she realised that that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> but that was the thing that was yeah, going to make her move. move. And I realised that that was funny. And we both kind of like laughed at each other. <laughs> and then I got on with it. <laughs> The worst thing I think that someone has said to me was actually something, someone that I didn't know. So Mm -hmm. it was a breakfast meeting. So at the time I was working as the executive editor for HuffPost. There was a very strong line between my professional life and my personal life, even though, you know, I have written about it on the site. uh, Sorry, it, my grief and Rob (laughs) and so on. But it was a breakfast meeting in Soho House. And um, I was with two colleagues and we were meeting another person. And for some reason, because I think it was like, oh, are you married or whatever came up. And I said, oh, by the way, no, I used to be married, but my husband passed away by suicide a year ago. And this woman actually said, if you don't mind me asking, how did he do it? And my colleagues just, I could just, one of them just put her hand like on my back. And I just said, "Oh my god!" I'm I just, looked at I'm her. I'm just trying to break down, like because yeah. sometimes I think, "Okay, would I say something that's stupid?" And then I was like, "Yeah, no, not no." It's, not and it was, it was also the tone. It was like asking if you got a meal deal at Boots. If you don't mind me asking, where did you get your hair done? Yeah, because yeah. it's, like, it's nice. Yeah, yeah. Where's a top from? Yeah, it's like, oh, here's a small inconsequential detail yeah. I can definitely share with you. Yeah. Yes. How, why does she yeah. need to know? Yeah. Like. I, I have no idea. I mean, I just, I shut it down very quickly and I said, I I'm, I don't feel comfortable discussing that. Yeah. But then the rest of the meeting. Yeah, it's <clears> awkward. <laughs> yeah, let's just say it was a little bit it's a bit frosty, yeah. Yeah, so I, I mean, I carried on as normal, but it was, wow. it was just there in the back. And obviously I've still clutched onto this, like however yeah. many years later as a memory. But not th- that long. You're not 20 years in. You're not. Tw- you're holding on to it for three years. It's fine. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. But I do remember thinking. I mean, there's there's Simon Critchley. He wrote this book about suicide. Yes. Notes on suicide, and he did say that suicide has this peculiar effect on people in that it either makes them loquacious. Mm. Um, a less polite word for me on loquacious would be verbal diarrhea yeah, in this yeah. woman's case. Or it makes them reticent. So yeah. they just, you know, they clam up and they don't want any, they don't want to talk about it. They, they don't know how to. Yeah. Uh, but that lady, and so I, again, similar scenario in my um, in my role as the grief elder was when someone that we knew, I didn't know them personally, but friend of a friend again passed away by suicide. And, um, and my friend was asking me and I just said, I know you want to know how. Mm. You can never ask that question. Yeah, it has yeah. to be volunteered. Because I just said, for some people, it can be hugely triggering. Well, I, and this again, mm. the grief elders can learn too. Yeah. Um, my wonderful friend, Jen Offord, came on the show and her brother mm. 
took his own life when we were at university together. Okay. So I've known Jen for a very long time. And I said to her, I'd start a grief cast. And I was like, oh, Jen, come and do this. She does another amazing podcast called Standard Issue Podcast. And um, I was like, oh, Jen, yeah, you know, oh, my old pal. And we were doing the show. And I said, oh, I know what happened. But I was thinking, oh, my listeners, you know, get, I like to get the narrative. And I asked her and she she had to say to me, she's like, Carrie, you can't ask me that. And I was like, wow. oh, and we kept it in the show because I thought, that's so embarrassing. I don't want that in the show. I don't want people, oh God. But I thought, no, other people need to know. Yeah. And I think I was asking more because I was like, I wouldn't have asked yeah. a breakfast meeting. Please don't judge me. <laughs> but because I was like, oh, it's Jen and mm. I'm just trying to get everybody to know the situation and because I know. Yeah. And then she said to me, she was like, yeah, it's just like, she was, Jen's very funny. She's like, it's just kind of bad suicide etiquette. Like, it's just like, not, it's just not cool. And I was like, thank you. Because again, yeah. we don't talk about it, mm. so we don't know. So people panic. Yeah. That line between kind of deep sadness and hysterical laughter yeah. is so thin for me. And we, I was... My daughter knew I was pregnant because uh, we were about sort of nine weeks and she'd seen that I was pregnant and I yeah. knew I was miscarrying. And I'd gone into her uh, nursery to pick her up and she was like, Mama, why are you crying? And I had like, she called it the black tears uh, where your mascara is kind of oh. down your face. And I hadn't even noticed, cause, wow. but I was just kind of in a bit of a mess. And I was in the nursery and I miscarried at nursery and she was in the toilet with me. And again, it's these worlds colliding wow. where you're hearing the cacophony of all these children like squawking outside. And she's like, why are you crying? Why the, why the black tears? And I just felt I can't lie to you because you knew she knows I was pregnant. And yeah. I just said, "Mummy, um, mummy has lost lost a baby, but it's not mummy's fault. Mm. Uh, you know, this is just what's happened." And she said, "Oh, it was just very matter of fact. Oh, where did you lose it?" I was like, "Oh God!" Oh, uh, God. As I was literally like, "Well, it's oh God, it's in the top. I, just, I can't even yeah. articulate it." I said, "Look, I didn't lose the baby. Sometimes it just doesn't work out." And she said, "But you can have another one." Well, yeah, I, I hopefully can. Yeah. And she said, can the doctor put another one in? Uh, <laughs> I was like, well, we'll have to talk to Papa about yeah, that. Yeah, we'll talk to Daddy uh, about that, not the doctor. It, the doctor's going to slip me one. We're going to need to talk, to talk to Papa about that. And then the thing that literally turned me around from feeling that nightmarish scenario again was um, she said, can, can the next one be black? <laughs> like my friend Zion. And I was like... Again, um, <laughs> to have to talk to Papa about that one, and it was her just questioning, just yeah. really simple questioning. Without that, I think as adults we feel a need to instinctively protect yeah. somebody. Whereas actually, her line between sort of life and death was quite factual, yeah. and it was well you you can just have another one and and her way of actually dealing with that she was three at the time and wow. I was in two minds about even having this conversation mm. but she just held my hand and just said you know we, we'll just have another one we'll call it Zion <laughs> yes yes we will okay, yep. yeah yeah and it was you know again those lines crossing yeah. and uh, it felt very bizarre but I weirdly felt uplifted by a three-year-old in a way that Adults have tried yeah. to make your loss okay yeah. when actually you do just sometimes need more of a factual look you in the eye and go, it's going to be okay, I'm here, yeah. I'm in the hole with you. And yeah, let's go and work on that brother for me called Zion. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. Hey, Griefsters, we're now hitting our last set of clips. Thank you so much for listening. First up, we're going to hear comedy legend Arthur Smith, who came in to talk to me about his dad, Sid. Uh, it's an incredible episode. His dad was quite the character, and this is just a small glimpse of uh, one of Sid's stories. After that, you're going to hear journalist and writer Sally Hughes. Uh, Sally's episode, I've never had so much feedback for an episode, I think, actually. Sally was actually estranged from her mother. They did have some contact before she died, but Sally talked very, very eloquently about what it's like to be in the strange family and how it can be difficult for other people to understand. And um, yeah, I think this clip really deals with that. And finally, we'll be ending on Greg Davis and Barry Castagnola, which was a live episode we did in association with Loras hospice um (laughs) this clip still makes me laugh in this episode greg and barry both talked about their dads their relationship with them and uh, how they had coped with the grief and in this particular clip greg is talking about an experience he had where he wasn't sure if his dad was trying to give him a message but um (laughs) he, he thought he might be anyway it's a very very funny clip Because I got him to write his memoirs before he died, and he talks about flying back to England after this two and a half years yeah. and going over the White Cliffs of Dover. And it all sounds like you could imagine Brexiteers having a real wank over yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but actually, my dad was all for the European Union. I mean, from that generation, you know, the war had, the previous two world wars mm. had started in amongst European nations. Yeah. So it seemed like quite a good idea that instead of all being enemies, we all become mates. And yeah, my, that's my grandpa was very much. Mm. It's like it wasn't. Mm. It was uh, people above you making bad, mm. stupid choices. But that's Absolutely. not what we were here for. Anyway. Yeah, he my was... my father when he was captured, he told the story of he was helping an injured British soldier, you know, and he was surrounded by Italian guards. And then the Italian doctor dealt with this man, and the Italian doctor took out a picture of his children and said, Hitler, Mussolini, no good. And my dad, in response, said, Churchill, no good. And they kind of bonded, in a way, those two. You know, that that was, you know, that was just ordinary people together, ordinary men and bollocks to all the powers that be that has put them in that position. So he talked about it then quite freely with you. Yes, I mean, you know, he had his sort of regular set of stories, but yes, yes <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you get yeah. to know the. Uh, but yes, he did, he did talk about it, and people because of course, when it when the film was made, mm. suddenly everyone was interested in coldest oh, particularly. Wow. So he became a bit of a sort of mini local celebrity. Yeah, and got asked right. to do talks about it and whatnot. <laughs> and, and then yeah, I took him back to took him back to Colditz Castle when he was seventy. Yeah. Wow, that must have been an incredible experience. Yes. I'll always remember the words he said when it first came into view. The, this big old ancient castle where he'd been a prisoner, hadn't seen it for four years. He looked at it and he said, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the gags from the show. Right? <laughs> 
But yes, I, I mean, I think it's impossible for us really to understand the lives of our parents before we were born. Yeah. But, you know... That, Especially in wartime, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's completely... It's yes. a very, very... Well, yeah, hopefully distant time. Yeah. So how right. old was he when he died? He Oh, well, he was a reasonable age, you know. He was... 81. Wow. And okay. he'd, um, you know, and he'd been, he'd smoked fags all his life, although he was never much of a drinker. But it was, it was, I, I, I remember how it happened. Me and my partner were on our way to a dinner party in a taxi, and I got a call from my mother saying, uh, Sid's coughed up blood and he's in hospital. And we went to see him. We immediately went down to Bath, where they were living then. Mm. They retired to Bath. And the next day we went and then we were sent away while the doctors talked to him and then it was apparent that, you know, he didn't have long left and I walked in and sat with him and the first thing he said was, uh, she's been a wonderful wife, you'll look after her, won't you? That was his first thought. Oh. Mm. And uh, and then, uh, you know, and then he came home and he died at home and in, the, and in the last few weeks, he got really desperately sad. And I remember coming down one night for a piss in the middle of the night and I saw him and sitting there and he said, I'm desperate. But then somehow, I think that happens, he he seemed to go off into another sort of zone almost mm. slowly where he was sleeping more and more. And then I remember one afternoon... I went up and he was in bed, you know, asleep mostly, and, you know, he didn't have that long, and we were being helped by Macmillan nurses yeah. and whatnot. And he said, I've been thinking about religion. And I said, what? And he said, oh, never mind, he went back to sleep. And then I realised <laughs> he'd said, I've been thinking about religion. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he'd never been a religious man particularly. And so I went back, and he was still asleep, and I said, well, I don't know what happens to us in the end, said Dad, but, you know, maybe you'll be off cycling to Devon again with your old friend Morris, and then maybe Hazel, that's his wife, my mother, will come by eventually, and then we'll all come by in the end. And I kind of thought I detected a little smile, and then he died that night. So I wow. choose to believe that, yeah. however possibly erroneously, that I'd that I'd left him with an image of something that he could go to. You have to weigh it up and think, well, I'm alive now, they're alive now, what does that take away from my life to have them involved in it? And can you, is that a mitigating factor in then what happens later on when they die? You know you're going to be gutted. There's no way of avoiding that. Yeah. But what you can avoid is unhappiness now. Yeah. That's yeah. the only bit you get to control. You're going to be devastated no matter what when they're gone, mm. but you can't control that. The bit you can control is how you feel in your living life and their living life. And if they take away more from your life than they add to it, then you might need to consider removing them from that, your life. <laughs> yeah, and I think what's hard, and I've said this to her as well, like uh, I think this is true for all situations. People always relate it from themselves. So often when they're saying, yeah. oh, what about their dark? When they die, they're thinking, oh, I'd be so sad if my mum died and I hadn't spoken to her. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, that's you and your mum, mm -hmm. which is a different relationship. And I think it's really important. You always have to realise people see through their own glasses, you know? So it's like they can only relate to their relationship with their mother or their father. And, you know, I've... Yeah, like, and I feel like that when talking about my dad, like, sometimes people are like, oh, you, you must have been crushed when he died. And I'm like, oh, it isn't that simple because no. our relationship was... was, was 
difficult. But I can see what they're saying is, I really love my daddy so much. And if I'd been 15... I think that thing, though, of people seeing it through their glasses of an incredibly loving and supportive parents parent the only way you can really turn that around is to say to them okay well you have an incredibly loving and supportive mother and you can't imagine how awful it would be for her to die and think you don't like Mm. her imagine your incredibly loving and supportive mother how she would feel if you were making a decision that made every day of your life an unhappy day Mm. she loved you she loves you so much she would hate you to be miserable so how do you think she would feel about you not making a decision that would make you happier and that's the only way they can see if they can only see it through a loving parent ask them how their loving parent would feel if they were miserable every day and that is how lots of people feel in that situation yeah yeah and I I think as well it's just some families are like you said deeply complicated and I've I've had to learn that with her and I've had to definitely change the way I think about things because I was very much at the beginning of like but you know I'd be so sad and I you know I know what it's I know what it's like when someone dies you got to grab all these moments and I and that's coming from my place of regret of like I didn't have that chance with my dad because I was too young and we didn't yeah. get to fix what well, probably was this is the difference my dad's relationship with me probably was fixable with time. Yeah. And that's my pain. Yeah. Like, that's totally my pain of, like, I think if we'd had more time, it never would have been you perfect. You feel a sense of unfinished business. Yeah, it never would have been perfect because we our personalities. But we definitely, I think we would have got much better. And that's not true for some people. It doesn't matter how much time have. It's not going to get fixed or be in a better place. And I think that's... Yeah, hard for sometimes, like you said, people have been lovingly parented to get their heads around because they always see this like, but it'll be okay and they you love you. You pass a deadline, I think, where things can be changed and that's yeah. very sad. But I know when my mother was dying and I visited her a few times, like a handful of occasions, I drove home to Wales and was with her. It's funny, you know, there wasn't a big moment where suddenly everything was okay. We couldn't really talk to one another very well. Yeah. We both were incredibly awkward in one another's company. I couldn't uh, be physical. We had never, I don't recall a single time in my life where my mother gave me a kiss or hugged me. And so I can't just suddenly start yeah, doing it at yeah. 44. And she couldn't either, and that's okay. You know, I think I did it, and I think it was the right it was the right decision. However, I think your expectation, you have to manage your own expectations. Yes, that's true. I think people expect in death to be these really huge moments. And sometimes there are, you know, I had one with Carrie, but, but actually, on the whole, you don't, because people are still themselves, even <laughs> when they're dying. Yeah. I know that experience that you're talking about, you're like, it, it feels like somebody's here and that's a bit strange and then it goes and and who the fuck knows what that is but I had years where he definitely oh there he is (laughs) 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 hello (laughs) don't test him you see the old old glass the old glass Dad, I'm in the middle of talking. That is so typical of you. I I had a a glass, not a glass moment, but when I was on the same trip to America. (laughs) Sorry, I I think I've talked over you there. No, go on. I just had this moment where I was staying in a hotel um, by a beach, um, and down on the beach there was this seagull looking at me. And there was no other seagulls there, and it was like this. And I went, nah. <laughs> and, I, and I went to the loo, and when I came back, the solitary seagull 
of fucking Cannery Row had flown onto my balcony and was sitting there with his head <laughs> looking at me. And I swear, I stared at that seagull for 10 minutes. Uh, and, and I went, oh, pull yourself together. <laughs> and the seagull flew off. But I, I genuinely thought if he was going to do anything, he would come back as a seagull and, and cock his head weird, at me. These weird moments. These weird moments. Have I you did, had stuff at that point? No, but I did a gig in... Um, in, in uh, Bangor uh, in North Wales uh, once, and it was a really, really long journey with, with delays to the train, uh, and it was cold. And you know, Bang, Bangor, but that's, that's some of that North Wales, North Walian coast is, is, is beautiful in the summer, but tough cold, in the winter. And you're yeah. there out of season. And, um, <laughs> and the, the, the two most depressing things I saw. Um, what one was uh, when I got to the B and B, they put me up in, and I opened up the curtains, and there was a dead seagull on the, uh, 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 just outside on the windowsill. And I, yeah, that told me he was going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> he was pretending. He was. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and the other was walking to the gig and seeing a, a one-armed man playing pool on his own. I don't know why. It just looked. <laughs> <laughs> there was something about that after the seagull as well. There was just no, something no. just looks like, oh, if you don't look from a pub window, it's just grim. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Now That's What I Call Griefcast, part three. We'll be back next week with another compilation of the highlights of 2019. Uh, these are actually going to be our last two episodes for some time. If you're listening this far to the episode, you'll find that out. Other people probably pressed up by now. But um, uh, yeah, we are because, guys, I'm pregnant. I'm writing a book about grief and um, I'm also filming something. So um, yeah, we're going to just have a brief break so that I can uh, give birth and write a book. No biggie. That'll be fine. Thank you so, so much for listening. As I said, we'll be back with more clips next week. If you want to get in touch, it's at The Griefcast on Twitter, at The Griefcast on Instagram, if I can unlock it. And the show has been edited by Kate Holland, with thanks to Whistledown Studios. Music was provided by the Glue Ensemble. And remember, as ever, you are not alone. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 